is Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Now, parents, All scripture comes from the CSB this week, the Christian Standard Bible, and we will be in Genesis 6 again. I'm going to go ahead and read the rest of the chapter, starting in verse 11, and we're going to spend a few weeks talking about it. It isn't easy to teach, and it isn't easy to understand. It really isn't much of a children's bedtime story, that's for sure. But remember from past week's teachings how the earth was ruined Humans weren't behaving like God's image bearers anymore, and the Bible tells us that their thoughts were wicked and violent, everyone's thoughts, all the time. Well, what do you do when everyone's hurting each other, when even children aren't safe because their parents are violent and so they grow up violent too and nothing to be done about it? And they didn't have Bibles. They didn't have Jesus. Humans were ruined. The flood story tells us that they were destroying the earth and each other. All of them were. And that's a horrible thing to imagine. Can you imagine not knowing anyone who's kind and generous? Can you imagine living in a world where no one can be trusted and anyone you meet would be willing to hurt you? That's the kind of world described in Genesis 6. A ruined creation. And remember, the Bible tells us that God was full of regrets, sadness over what had happened and even over making humans in the first place. Doesn't say he was angry. Said he was sad. God didn't make us to be cruel to one another, but to love one another. You know, Jesus is the perfect example of what God wants for us and from us. So let's read the rest of the chapter. Now the earth was corrupt, ruined, remember? The earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with wickedness. God saw how corrupt or ruined the earth was, for every creature had corrupted or ruined its way on the earth. Then God said to Noah, I've decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark. Cover it with pitch inside and outside. This is how you are to make it. The ark will be 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, and 45 feet high. You are to make a roof, finishing the sides of the ark within 18 inches of the roof. You are to put a door in the side of the ark. Make it with lower, middle, and upper decks. Understand that I am bringing a flood. Flood waters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. You are also to bring into the ark two of all of the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, 
and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, they will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him. Now there's a lot here, but this week we're only going to talk about two things and skip over most of it. Next week, we're going to talk about Noah's obedience. And the week after that, we're going to talk about the critters and maybe about Noah's family too. I haven't decided yet. But this week, we're going to talk about hyperbole again. So I hope you listen to episode 34 about how powerfully God uses hyperbole to teach us things that we might otherwise skip over and ignore. Now, hyperbole is just a fancy schmancy word. That means exaggeration, and we talked about the huge difference between hyperbole and lying. Anyone who says, I am so hungry I could eat a horse, well, they're not guilty of lying because they never meant anyone to take that seriously. They just wanted people to understand that they were really, really hungry. Hyperbole is what we do when we want someone to take us seriously, but We say something that isn't really serious to do it, but everyone understands what we're saying. In a way, it's just like idioms, you know, expressions that mean something that doesn't sound anything at all like what's actually being said, like, you sure opened a can of worms when you said that, meaning that you made a huge mess and people are probably arguing because of something you said. You didn't go buy a can of worms from the supermarket, get a can opener and crank it open, and the person who you know, said that you opened a can of worms wasn't lying either. We understand what it means, and so we see that it's true, even though the words are ridiculous. God loves to communicate us with us, you know, through exaggeration, expressions, metaphors, similes, and puns. And we'll talk about all those in the future because they make the Bible fun, and sometimes they show us God's sense of humor or his love for beautiful things. They're also a really effective way to warn us when there's trouble ahead, and when he wants to take us to take him seriously. When we see God saying this to Noah, I have decided to put an end to every creature, for the earth is filled with wickedness because of them. Therefore, I'm going to destroy them along with the earth. Well, we know that this really got Noah to listen carefully, because it would have been a very shocking thing to hear. And Noah would definitely pay attention after he heard that, because it included everyone including him too. All right. It isn't any different from saying, I'm going to just gear out of everything. And everyone pretty much knows that you don't mean literally everything, but it's an expression, an exaggeration. It's what we say right before we explain what we actually mean, which God is about to do. I might say, oh, look at all this mess. I'm just going to get rid of everything. When what I'm really going to do is just get rid of everything that I don't really need. Whenever anyone opens up with a statement like that, we start to pay attention because now we need more information. We're listening now because we've been told something that's hard or difficult to understand. If we were animals, you could say that our ears are up. God talks to us the same way we talk to each other because that is all we are really able to understand. But how do we know that this is what God is doing? Well, the earth was not actually destroyed in the flood. 
We're still living on the exact same planet, right? Also, the fish weren't destroyed, and so not every creature was killed in the flood either, and we know that the word creature also includes fish because they're used together in Numbers 11, verses 4 and 5. Really, it isn't much different than going home to your loved ones after school, throwing your arms around someone, and saying, Everybody hates me! I mean, if it was true, then you wouldn't be hugging anyone because they'd hate you too, but you say it because it feels like as though, as though it might as well be true. If you say that everyone is being mean to you, you are telling people that everything just seems awful right now and you feel very alone and sad and picked on. You aren't lying. You're just talking about how big the problem is. God does that in the Bible too when he wants us to see how big a problem is or to talk about something, you know, how terrible something's going to be. With the flood saying that everything was going to be destroyed, you know, even though it was just covered with water, which is bad enough, is a way of telling Noah that he needs to take this very seriously if he wants to survive. If we say, uh, this is bogus because like the fish lived, then we're missing the point. This is the equivalent of God telling Noah, I am hungry enough to eat a horse. Only a lot more serious. Noah needs to listen or he and his family are going to be in big trouble. Now, what Noah is not going to do is come back afterward and say, um, the earth wasn't really destroyed and the fish lived, so I don't trust you anymore. We all understand the power of exaggeration when we talk, and we all understand that when we do it in certain ways, we aren't lying. Now, if I tell you that I'm a world-famous best-selling author, I am totally lying. Do some people in other countries know me? Yeah. Have some of them read my books? Yeah. Does that make me world famous? No. I would never want to be world famous. I'm like, oh, that'd be my nightmare. Now, what about a best-selling author? I mean, yikes. I mean, maybe on the day a book is released, I might make the top of some obscure list on Amazon, but that's not what people mean when they're saying best-selling author. That would be lying in order to make myself look really important, but it wouldn't be true. I sometimes sell like 20 books a month, you know, sometimes. I am not famous or popular or the best teacher in the world, but sometimes I am hungry enough to eat a horse or maybe just a chicken. Verse 17, understand that I am bringing a flood, floodwaters on the earth to destroy every creature under heaven with the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, which means die. Aha! Now God is actually telling us in his own words that not every creature will be destroyed, but only the ones who breathe air. See? He wasn't lying. He was using hyperbole. God's a lot more interesting than we give him credit for sometimes. I mean, he just has to be more interesting than we are, right? And that's great because it means that we always have to be thinking about what he says and about what he doesn't say. And one thing about God is that he knows what it takes to get us to listen to him when he needs to tell us something important. He speaks our language and not his own. I mean, I'm betting that if God taught us a science lesson about all the stuff he knows, we wouldn't understand a word of what he's saying. We wouldn't even have the words to describe all that he sees and understands and knows. Have you ever thought about how God really has to talk to us in terms of what we're capable of understanding and even accepting, which isn't much. If he described how to make a star, 
Would you even understand what he's talking about? I wouldn't. I'm a chemist and I had to take a lot of math and physics in college. So I know a lot of stuff about science, but I know, you know, I would be totally lost. Even Albert Einstein wouldn't be able to keep up with God teaching a really accurate science lesson explaining how he actually created the sun and cells and eyeballs and mice and flowers and all that stuff. Now, the Bible is all about God explaining as much of himself as he can while still respecting the fact that we're pretty much clueless and we can't handle it all or even understand it all anyway. He actually had to send Jesus to show us who he is, you know, better than the words of the Bible could because we weren't really getting it. You know, sometimes you just have to see things or experience them or feel them, right? Oh, are you like that? Could you learn to swim by reading a book and never even getting wet? What if you'd never seen water? Could you imagine if someone wrote a book telling you about what it felt like to be wet? Ooh, maybe that'd be a good project today. You could try to describe what getting wet feels like to someone who's never seen water or cried or even spit or sweated. Describe water to an alien from Mars. I think that's the kind of what it's like for God to describe things to us, except he actually does a, as good a job as can actually be done. He has no limitations on what he knows and understands, but we sure do. But he's compassionate. So he tells us as much as he can in ways that we will best understand it. And when something terrible is about to happen, the best way to tell us is by shocking us with exaggeration. So when God first told the story to Noah, he said everything except the heavens were going to be destroyed. And then when he had Noah's attention, he made himself clearer. It would certainly seem to Noah like everything was destroyed, but a whole lot would still be there for him when the rains had stopped. Are you like that too? As a mom, sometimes I couldn't get my kids ready for this or that until I exaggerated and said, okay, I am headed out the door without you and leaving. And they'd panic and scramble to get ready and make sure, you know, and, and, and just in time. You know, for when we, we'd actually have to leave. But if I didn't do that, we'd be late. Guess what? We're God's kids and we drag our feet and we don't do what we need to do until the last minute unless he does something to get our attention. In ancient Israel, that was the job of the prophets. They were the ones yelling, okay, I'm headed out the door right now. And if I get to the car without you, you're going to be in big trouble. Humans are just strange like that. God knows it. He knows that sometimes we have to be shocked into doing what needs to be done. Noah had to build a boat and God didn't have time to mess around. It needed to get done and Noah had to take things seriously. Because God loves us, he does whatever it takes to get us to listen to his warnings. Not to hurt us, not to control us or to get us to do bad things, but because he wants us to do what is good. He won't lie to us, but he will shock us when we need it. Just like parents and grandparents and the people who love you have to do sometimes, you know, to get you to take stuff seriously. If God had said, okay, well, you know, one of these days I'm going to send a lot of water and everything and everyone will be like underwater. And Noah would probably just shrug and say, you know, whatever. It sounds like it's a long way off and I have other stuff to do. 
We like to fritter around and goof off and procrastinate and assume nothing bad will ever happen to us. The prophets would yell, dudes, you are going to get nuked. You, you know, if you don't get your act together. But because God is so merciful, nothing would happen for a long time and people would just say, yeah, whatever, and go on with life as usual. Now, as you grow up, you will notice that people will often lie when they want to get you to take them seriously because they don't want to be treated the way we treat God when he's trying to warn us about stuff. They will also exaggerate, but they'll do it in ways that are actually lies and not just expressions that we all understand. They might tell you something that isn't even remotely true or might have a teeny little bit of truth in it because they want you to do something or to not do something or to believe something or to not believe something. But God, he doesn't do that. God doesn't want you out in a violent rainstorm because of thunder and lightning and flash flooding, you know. And so he might say something like, it's raining cats and dogs out there, stay inside and you won't get hurt. But he isn't going to say, oh, it's raining sulfuric acid from the sky. Now that would be a total lie. It's very important to learn to tell the difference. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about the creation covenant where God created the earth and everything in it so that his creations would be taken care of. Creating such an excellent planet and all the plants and animals was God's way of promising to care for us. But the first time the Bible where that word actually shows up is in chapter 6, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife and your son's wives. This is very important moment in the Bible and we will talk about it more next week. I want you to notice that the verse begins with the word, but, and I want you to learn to be on the lookout for words like, you know, like, and, but, therefore, if, then, so, before, and after, and a whole bunch of others. That word, but, means that something's about to change. Yes, there will be a terrible flood, but I'm making a forever promise to you, a covenant that will never be broken. What is going to happen to the violent people will not happen to you. I will protect you and keep you and guard you from what's going to happen and fix what is ruined. But you need to take me seriously and trust me and trust the promise that I'm making to you to protect you. And not just you, but your whole family. Your wife and your three sons and their wives. And God is saying that he will do all this, but I want you to notice that God isn't just making promises to magically protect Noah and his family. God is making promises, but he's also telling Noah what he has to do. You see, there are different kinds of covenants in the Bible. Some of them, like the creation covenant, God does everything no matter what. He makes a promise and he keeps it forever. Other covenants are more complicated. With some covenants, God makes promises to do certain things, and humans also have to promise to do certain things. When we get to Moses, we're going to see that kind of covenant. But right now, nothing is going to happen unless Noah does what God tells him to do. God's telling him to build something unbelievably big and to just take his word for it that all this water is coming. You know what? Noah could have said no. 
If Noah says no, then there will be no covenant in the future, and God's going to have to choose someone else entirely. Noah had a choice. He wasn't a puppet. God is telling Noah about this huge disaster that is on the way and telling him to build something and to store food and all the stuff. And I would bet Noah has more questions than answers, right? I mean, I sure would. But in the ancient world, they weren't entirely like us today. They took their gods and goddesses a whole lot more seriously than we do today. Now, that doesn't mean that they always obeyed, because otherwise there wouldn't be any legends out there about all the things that humans did to make their gods angry, right? And the Bible would be shorter. <laughs> A lot shorter. Because, well, Adam and Eve would still be gardeners. How would that work? In the beginning, God created everything and put two humans in his garden, and told them what to eat and what not to eat, and they didn't eat anything they weren't supposed to eat, and they lived happily ever after. The end. Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's the most boring story ever told. So what's Noah going to do, and why is it so important? Well, we'll talk about that next week. Now, God told Noah that he would make a covenant with him and that his whole family would be saved. That's a story we're going to see all throughout the Bible. Do you remember the word meta-narrative? That long word that means the big stories that all join together that make, you know, one story. Well, the meta-narrative of the Bible is the story of salvation, being saved from things. Sometimes we see small salvations and others are huge. When Adam and Eve were given animal skin clothes by God and when God, when Cain was given the mark to protect him from the people who would want to kill him, those are smaller stories of salvation. When Noah and his family were saved from the flood, that's a big salvation because his descendants are still alive today because of it, right? You and me. Jacob and his family were saved from the famine by going to Egypt where Joseph had prepared for them. That was a huge salvation. When Moses, Aaron, and Miriam led the children of Israel out of slavery, that was another huge salvation. And God made many more miracles, each time saving his chosen people so that a very special baby could be born who would grow up to save the whole world. Now, when God saved Adam and Eve, that meant that Noah could be born and Noah and his, when Noah and his family were saved, that meant that one day Abraham would be born. And God would make a covenant with Abraham, and he would keep it with Abraham's son Isaac and his grandson Jacob and all of Jacob's children. And much later, you know, God made an extra covenant with Aaron, and from him came all the priests who served in the temple, including John the Baptist. And much, much later, God made a very special covenant with David. And many, many generations after David came Jesus. The whole Bible points toward him and to what he did in his life and how he died and how he rose from the dead and how he saved us from our sins. But we can't get there without Adam and Eve and without Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Judah and David and Mary and Joseph too. And the reason that all of those people lived was because of God's covenant and because he never goes back on his promises. 
Now, God makes covenants because he has plans. The covenant he makes with Noah after the flood is very important, but he will also make a covenant with the earth and everything in it. It's very important that we learn about his covenant so that we can understand how much he cares for us and what he expects from us in terms of how he wants us to treat one another and so that we can trust him. And through Jesus, we become a part of God's covenant promises too. When we say yes to Jesus, when we give him our allegiance as God's chosen King and Messiah, and when God raised him from the dead, he proved that Jesus was his Messiah, right? When we give Jesus our loyalty, we become part of God's covenant promises and he begins to change us into kingdom people, just like he did with Noah, even though everyone around him was wicked and violent. Hmm. Anyway, I love you and I'm praying for you and I hope you have a wonderful week studying the Bible with the people who love you.